The opinions and views expressed in the OC Show with Cameron Jackson do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Orange County, are you ready? It's time. For the best damn radio show in all of Orange County. What's it called? Show right here, right now on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, Cameron Jackson sits behind this microphone of truth, telling you what really goes on here in Orange County politics. And while many of you out there can choose to believe the slimy, rotten dirtiness of Michael Schroeder and Susan Kang Schroeder and Larry Agron. You can know that on this show we'll peel back the layers and tell you what's really going on here in Orange County. Have no fear, ladies and gentlemen. Cameron Jackson is here for you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next hour, because we got a good one for you this week. Bam, baby. Welcome to the show. I am Cameron Jackson. This is the OC Show right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Happy to be here, as always, every Friday from 5 to 6 p.m., and boy, do I have a great show for you this week. Before I get into it, though, let's do a little bit of the house cleaning, as we always do here at the OC Show. Uh, if you are just joining us and you want to continue listening once you get out of your vehicle, uh, out of the day room, wherever you might be, please go to KUCI.org. Click in the upper right-hand corner for your streaming audio. Also, if you want to see upcoming shows or listen to past shows, you can always go to my website, theocshow.net. That is theocshow.net. Feel free to check it out. Uh, I was gone for a couple of weeks on a little bit of a sabbatical, uh, clearing my mind for the weeks ahead. We've got an election right around the corner. And just for your listening pleasure, next week, uh, Bill Hunt, former sheriff candidate Bill Hunt, will be joining me in studio next week to do a little guest co-hosting. And uh, we'll be going over the propositions and how we will be voting for the propositions in this upcoming election cycle. So... Uh, today, though, however, I have a very special guest in studio with me. You know, we've had a, a, a saga now that's been going on for a couple of months here in Orange County with who was considered to be the heir apparent to the DA's office, and that's Todd Spitzer. Uh, if you know now, the current DA is Tony Rakakis, and he had brought in Todd Spitzer uh, to groom him for the position of district attorney when that office opens up again in 2014. Uh, 
Well, since then, we've had a huge blow-up in the office, and Todd Spitzer has been fired from the office, and we've been getting conflicting reports from both sides as to what has occurred and why this even occurred in the first place. And joining me today in studio is, of course, Todd Spitzer. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Cameron. Good to be here. Thank you very much. And so, Todd, you know, just to kind of catch people up to speed, if we have a listener out there who does not know what's going on, uh, explain real quick, uh, just a quick bio of yourself, and then your uh, entry into the DA's office and how you were uh, extricated from the DA's office. <laughs> I actually started in the DA's office in 1990 when I was a brand new prosecutor right out of law school. I uh, worked in the DA's office all the way through 1997. Uh, I was elected to the Board of Supervisors in the 96 cycle. But my very first office in Orange County was on the Brea School Board. I was elected to the Brea School Board in 1992, served there through 1996. But then, of course, in 1994, when we had the largest municipal bankruptcy in the history of the world, um, I, at 35 then, decided I would run for the Board of Supervisors. The average age then, Janet Wynn now holds the record as the youngest elected supervisor, but I was elected to the Board of Supervisors at 35. Went to the Board of Supervisors, served there for six years, uh, worked on one of the largest issues, of course, was defeating an airport at the El Toro Air, uh, at the El Toro Marine Corps Air Station, and then I went to the state legislature uh, from 19 uh, until 2008. Uh, back in 2005, though, when I was on the board of supervisors, starting in 2002, I watched the Orange County District Attorney's office in a, in great disarray. Uh, Mike Capizzi had left to run for judge. He was uh, he was really excoriated uh, because by the Republican Party here in Orange County because he actually had the gall to go after public corruption in this county. Now I will tell you I wasn't necessarily a fan of Mike Capizzi, although I was very grateful that I had worked for him. But he did use a very heavy hand and go after elected officials. And clearly, like Scott Baugh, who's now the chairman of the Orange County Republican Party, I thought Mike really did overreach in the case of Scott Baugh. Uh, but Mike Capizzi made it very clear in this county that. The County of Orange was not going to stand for public corruption. When I got to the Board of Supervisors, Tony Rakakis was challenging a successor to Mike Capizzi, and he went to, to fisticuffs um, with somebody who thought they were the, going to be the heir apparent, and that was Wally Wade. And we kind of know the history of what happened there. So I was very supportive of Tony, and I worked on Tony's campaign and helped Tony get elected. But what was happening almost simultaneously is you had Mike Corona coming to power in the Sheriff's Department. Remember, he was a marshal, and he was going to run against Brad Gates. Brad Gates kind of punted, decided he would retire, and Mike Corona became sheriff. Mike Corona was a rising star. We all know that. I mean, it looked like his star was not going to fade, and he he rose to power at the same time Tony Rakakis came to power. And Tony Rakakis was no Mike Corona, and I mean that more ways than one, but in this context about personality. So on the board... Uh, Tony and I, I supported Tony wholeheartedly, but then I started to watch the forces of power in this county. The same people that were basically running the Corona operation and ended up running the Sheriff's Department into the ground. That's the Schroeder. I call them the corrupt Corona couple. Um, Mike Schroeder and his wife, Susan King Schroeder. Uh, but Mike Corona, uh, excuse me, Mike Schroeder was clearly Mike Corona's advisor and confidant and uh, lawyer. Um, and was very, very close to the Sheriff's Department with John Fleischman, who was the spokesperson for uh, the Corona operation. And then in the sheriff, and then in the DA's office, 
you had Tony Rakakis basically bringing Susan King Schroeder at that time as a prosecutor, and then she eventually ascended uh, to much more powerful positions. But you could see as you could see as Corona, uh, the Corona was his star was rising. You could see that Rakakis started to have all the problems. In fact, if you remember, it was it wasn't Corona who had all the problems in those early days. Uh, it was. Rakakis, he was investigated by the grand jury. His wife, Kay Rakakis, he was married at the time to Kay. He's been married several times, as most people know. And now he's got this new girlfriend, Peggy Buff, in the public guardian's office, I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, uh, Tony uh, was investigated by the grand jury. I believe I've read that Kay Rakakis and Susan Schroeder fled the country, either went to Mexico or left the state to avoid being subpoenaed uh, by the grand jury. And then it seemed like as Mike Corona's world started to dissolve and become very destructive and he started to implode, Rakakis kind of mellowed out. I think, you know, when Rakakis was on the front pages of the newspaper having all kinds of problems, Corona was in his heyday. Then Corona started having problems and knocked Rakakis off the front pages of the newspaper. Now that Corona's been, you know, indicted, prosecuted, convicted felon, George Harmeo is now a convicted felon, now you have a lot of attention in the last bastion of power where the Schroeders now operate. I mean, they lost their power in the Sheriff's Department. Hutchins threw them out, wouldn't have anything to do with the Schroeders. No place for the Schroeders at that dinner table. And now you have them fighting for their last stronghold in this county, which is the Orange County District Attorney's Office. And You know, I, I guess and we could get into the, the who, what, when, why, and where of, of why you got uh, fired, but I'll, I'll break it down real easy. Uh, essentially what Rakakis is saying is that you weren't a team player, you weren't, you, they didn't like, this are the three things, that you were abusing the office, that you couldn't be trusted, and that you were campaigning on company time. Those were the big ones. And then we had this blow up where you essentially, they're claiming you went in and you um, inappropriately contacted the public guardian's office, that's John Williams, who John Williams uh, happens to have what his secretary Peggy Buff? No, oh, it's not a secretary. What, what is, it's his assistant. His, assistant, his second in command. The second, assistant public guardian right. is Tony Rakakis's fiance. Right, fiance. So, uh, so we, we, you make a telephone call over there, and I had John Morlock on the show because he was part of this. His office was involved in this as well, and so we talked about that. Where basically you made an inquiry for a citizen about some bad check that was running through. Uh, John Williams' office. Is that correct? Is it something like that? Mm, Give me a better synopsis. Okay. I got a call from a woman named Teddy Alves who indicated she had a friend, Ruth Hole Richter, who was a victim of domestic violence, that her husband was beating her, and that we, at the same time, we had uh, filed a case, not filed a criminal case, but she was in in our bad check program, that she had written a bad check. But so when I asked Ms. Alves, well, you know, what's going on here? Are there any other agencies investigating this and looking at this, trying to assist? I mean, I'm not I'm not a bureaucrat. All right. I mean, I've been around a long time. And when people call me, I'm generally very helpful. I try to be helpful. I, I, I don't like things dropping through the bureaucratic trap. So she said, yeah, the public guardian was investigating Ruth Hull Richter and her mother and this abusive husband and kind of trying to sort it all out. So I got the name of an investigator over at the public guardian's office, a guy named T.J. Schneider. I called over there after I had confirmed that we did have a bad check case in our bad check program involving Ruth Hull Richter. I got a case number and everything else. So once I knew my office had some stake in this, and I was worried about whether or not Ruth Hull Richter might be uh, harmed by this husband, domestic violence, or the mother, or whatever. I called over the public guardian's office. I left a message for T.J. Schneider. T.J. Schneider 
Uh, apparently, now I know, I didn't know this before, he wrote an email to his boss named Roberge, and he CC'd Peggy Buff. So Peggy Buff knew I was interested in this case the day before I ever actually talked to somebody. Then the next day, I talked to Roberge, who sent me an email, hey, give me a call or tell me what you need, I'll be happy to help you. And when I called her, um, it, was kind of a, it was kind of a strained conversation. And I couldn't really understand why she was seemed to be so reluctant just to share information. Mind you, as a, as a prosecutor, and I, here I'm a manager of Harbor Court in Newport Beach, assistant district attorney there, an assistant head of court. I'm used to talking to agencies all the time, and we, we information share all the time, so this is not unusual. But she was very hesitant. I couldn't understand. So I said to her, are, are you reluctant to give me information? I could just tell that she seemed to be holding back. And then she said, well, I want to know what the nature of your investigation is. And I said, well, we had this bad check, and I'm just trying to sort everything out. It was very confusing. Long story short, um, she tells me, yeah, they're looking at, they're doing an investigation. I said, great, thank you. That's all I need to know. I called Teddy Alves back. I said, hey, Teddy, they're investigating. You're going to have to be patient. They're the agency in charge. I called our bad check program. I put the bad check case on, of Ruth Hull Richter on hold for 60 days to give the public guardian enough time to conclude their investigation. That was all I did. And yet the next day, about 24 hours later, I get a call. I get summoned into the district attorney's office. I get told I'm being let go because of inappropriate communication with the public guardian. I had to scratch my head and say to myself, what? I didn't even remember. Actually, it was like I had to really think that through. I asked the DA, wait a minute. Do you want to know, you know, you want to read my email to show that I had been contacted on this, that I had permission to talk to the public guardian? Do you want to listen to my voicemail confirming that there was a bad check investigation? Do you want to see my notes to show that this woman, Teddy Alves, had called me about this? He didn't want to hear a thing. I mean, it was it was a fait accompli. There was no no inquiry from me whatsoever. I turned to an investigator behind me, a commander named Jeff McLaughlin, and I said, hey, Jeff, you got 180 officers in this agency. Not one of them wants to interview me. I mean, it's just, that's not, that is not protocol. When you are, when you have an, some kind of issue, you generally conduct some kind of investigation. Nothing. I was just summarily, uh, I had to turn in my identification, obviously my keys, and I was walked out of the office. Let me, you know, I'm going to set this stuff aside because I'm going to go based on the knowledge that I have of of you and of the Schroeders and of, of Rakakis overall. And... You know, let me walk you back a, a few years because back in 2006, you were going to run for DA, and that was when Rakakis came out and he had the I don't know the hundred thousand dollar dinner, and uh, everybody backed down from their position. And based on all the information that I received at the time, that you were you were on the outs with the Schroders. They were upset with you. They were mad at you. You were persona non grata, and then. Uh, over time, uh, a mea culpa takes place. There's a nice meeting. There's a nice meal involved. Everybody makes up. Everybody's happy, happy friends, friends again. And as you come out of the assembly, um, you uh, and, and and let me go back and say too, in '06, you're complaining about Rakakis and his corruption. You're complaining that he's surrounding himself with corrupt people like the Schroders. Then you have the mea culpa with the Schroders. You uh, make up with them. You come back into the office as the heir apparent to the DA's office. Everybody's nice, nice, happy, happy, getting along. And then, boom, this happens. You get fired, and you're on the outs again, and now they're corrupt again. And for me, you know, I the, the problem I have with all of this that's going on is that they're corrupt. 
Now I'm okay with them. Now they're corrupt again. Now, granted, I think they're corrupt. I believe that 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 through, through the heart of their hearts, they are corrupt people. Rakakis for surrounding himself with the Schroders and the Schroders just for being the Schroders. I don't have a problem with that. My problem is that where is it for you? I mean, where, you know, in a way, and I'll be real honest with you, Todd, in a way it seems like you sold out. You saw the easy path to take was the path to go with the Schroders in order to, to gain that seat of power. And it bit you in the rear end, and now that it bit you in the rear end, it looks like you're throwing your soccer in the mud and saying, oh, they're corrupt, they're corrupt. How do you reconcile that? No, I, I think that's a fair observation, and it's a very fair criticism. I was, when I was a member of the Board of Supervisors, starting in 2002, after Rakakis became the district attorney, I watched the way he started to run that district attorney's office, and I was very frustrated. And it, if people recall, I actually took him on and challenged the way he was running the DA's office when I was a member of the Board of Supervisors. That was the whole reason I was going to run against him. I think Scott Moxley talked about it very well in one of his articles in the OC Weekly, where he talks about a speech I gave at the Rib Trader where I was making the same type of allegations about Rakakis. You know, he gave a gun to a guy named DiCarlo, who uh, was, had been investigated by the Orange County DA's office for being an organized crime member for years. Um, he gave out badges, uh, DA badges, uh, to another person named Nassar, uh, who was the chairman of this committee, uh, the fundraise, you know, and it wasn't for Tony's reelection, it was for charitable kinds of causes or whatever. But, you know, then Tony hires uh, Nassar's daughter. She's a prosecutor. Um, and I started watching all this, and I, I, I just found it very, very upsetting. This is, this is what happened for me. I had been in Sacramento as a member of the state assembly. I can tell you when I went to Sacramento in 2002, I was not enamored with Sacramento. I mean, Sacramento was not a place that I enjoyed. Uh, we, my wife and I, we just had a, uh, we, our son's 11 now, but he was, you know, he, I missed basically six years of his life when I stayed up there. And I really wanted another child. And that wasn't going to happen if I was doing the Sacramento gig. I was on a plane six, sometimes six times a week, six, you know, three round trips a week, always trying to fly back to make events for family and and everything. And I honestly, I was not a good dad and it was not a lifestyle that I wanted in my life. So a lot of what happened was me saying, Hey, I, I want a different kind of lifestyle. And at the same time, I understood that. The, those individuals were in a, in a very strong position of power, and they were influent, They had great influence over the outcome of politics in Orange County. There was no doubt about it. The question was, is, did I have the infrastructure? Did I personally, Todd Spitzer, have the horsepower to take on? You have to remember, I've never been the darling of the Republican Party in Orange County. I've, no matter, even, even after being assemblyman and a supervisor, I still often have seen as kind of an outsider because... When things are not right, like, for example, when I was on the Brea School Board and they were changing grades, there was a big grade scandal, I took on the entire school board who did nothing. The superintendent ended up resigning. The, the, the school principal ended up uh, getting reassigned. And that, would have, that only got exposed, and everybody knew about it, was because I put my foot down and said, this is wrong. It's actually illegal to change teachers' grades. Um, that happened when I got on the Board of Supervisors. I was immediately in day-to-day combat with Jan Mittemeyer, the CEO of the county, and mostly over El Toro uh, and other programs. 
I just think people, when I was in the legislature, if people remember, I took on the Speaker of the Assembly and he put me in the smallest office in the Capitol. I mean, it's not like I didn't have a reputation of a guy who was willing to get in, in the arena and fight the fight if I thought that I was right or that the cause I was fighting for, for was right. So I can tell you this. I watched what was happening with Corona. I watched how the Schroeders basically destroyed the Sheriff's Department in conjunction. Of course, Mike Corona made a lot of bad decisions, obviously. It wasn't all the Schroeders. But clearly, Mike Schroeder was Mike Corona's advisor. And I honestly thought that having gone through that Corona experience, they they had learned their lesson. I mean, I just couldn't imagine that individuals would had gone through something that significant and severe and not had some kind of significant change of heart. And so... It was so it was a combination of self-interest, what was in the best interest of me and my family, coming back to Orange County, uh, you know, I was older, I thought I was, you know, hoping, you know, I I had matured obviously somewhat. And at the same time, there was a path where if Rakakis and I had gone to war in 06 election cycle, at the same time the corona meltdown was occurring and the sheriff's department was in disarray, I just thought it was too much for law enforcement to handle in this county. And I and, you know, Frank Mikodite commented today in the register, you know, can, you know, have we had enough of Spitzer and Rakakis and what does this do to the reputation of the district attorney's office? And he's right in that way that when people fight this much about a particular office, then it does break down in the public eye the confidence level of that particular office. I did not want to see law enforcement destroyed. I'd been a cop for 10 years. I was a prosecutor. I care deeply about law enforcement. Obviously, I still do. I've dedicated my whole life to law enforcement. And I just thought, when you take all those factors, that if I ran in 05, um, that, I, that would have, it would have caused some irreparable harm for the county. Now, when I went back, the question then becomes is, okay, so you went back with knowing, basically, you had all these opinions about Rakakis and Schroeder, you, and you went back anyway, and I did. But what I saw when I went back was it was just as bad, if not worse, than it was when I was observing it as a member of the Board of Supervisors and a member of the legislature. I did not realize I, I was wrong. I mean, I was absolutely dead wrong. I, I completely misjudged it. I thought these people had gotten over it and had learned their life lessons, but they hadn't. They were just as abusive with power, just as much insider trading, and rewarding their friends and punishing their enemies. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I ended up obviously becoming a victim of that. Well, and then, that you know... Well, let's. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Todd Spitzer. He is a former DA, former assemblyman. He was recently fired by the current DA, uh, Tony Rakakis, over a. And it really is just a crazy dust-up flap over the Public Guardian's office and whatnot. You can look out on the web, and I'll put links up on the on my site, theocshow.net, so you can do your own background on it. But there's so much to talk about. Let's take a quick break, Todd. And when we come back, I want to talk about corruption in the office and, and your take on it. And um, uh, a few other things. we got plenty to talk about, trust me. You're listening to The O.C. Show right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am Cameron Jackson, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Opinions and views expressed in the OC Show with Cameron Jackson do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, I am your Superman, baby. All right, enough of this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us, this is the OC Show right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am Cameron Jackson. My guest today is Todd Spitzer. He's talking about his recent uh, termination from the Orange County District Attorney's Office. We're having a great conversation about that. Before I get to that, though, if you are just joining us and you want to continue listening outside of your car, go to KUCI.org. Click in the upper right-hand corner for streaming audio. Also, if you want to uh, listen to this show or any other shows, you can go to my website, theocshow.net. I'll be podcasting this show after the fact. That is theocshow.net. Um, you know, Todd, uh, we were just talking before the break about um, you know how you reconcile uh, calling the Schroders corrupt, joining Team Schroder, so to speak, and then calling them corrupt again. And, and you explained that very well in detail. You know, um, and one of the things that we talked about off the air real quick was that you know there are a lot of people who look to you as as an example of a politician who could do good and who could break away from the establishment and who could um, go against the establishment successfully. And there's a lot of people that are that really feel kind of let down about your alliance with the Schroders. You know, how, again, that's another thing. How do you reconcile that with the public, especially when I'm assuming that four years from now you're going to want to try to gain the public trust again uh, for the election uh, of the DA in 2014. Well, I, you know, let's talk about the public trust. First of all, I don't think I've lost the public trust. I think people are asking a very natural question, which is, you know, who's the real Todd Spitzer? That's a very fair question. I, not, I, have, I don't have any problem with people asking or, or, or talking about it. I abs- Before we took the break, I talked about the fact that I was in Sacramento. I was unhappy. We had one child, my wife and I. Want another, we, I, I we want another child. I didn't like to travel. I didn't want to be in Sacramento. I was either, I love public life. I love public policy. Um, I think I'm pretty good at it, and I think I'm very effective. I really think I listen to the people. I'm really not beholden to any special interests, and I buck the system uh, whenever it's necessary. And so, you know, that's why we're so successful in stopping an airport at El Toro. And so, you know, I, a lot of people have been there for me and completely have my back. And when I decided not to challenge Rakakis, I think there was a lot of disappointed people and they had a right to be disappointed. I thought it was the right thing. In retrospect, it obviously wasn't. And, you know, I'm the one that's kind of having to delay my professional career now all these years because where am I at now? I, you know, I, I was back in the DA's office for two years and, you know, I'm, I'm basically treading water. I'm not a prosecutor anymore. And I'm obviously very disappointed about that. You know, and do I have to wait four more years to challenge Rakakis? I mean, he's obviously... What about a board of supervisors run? Well, you know, that's something that a lot of people are, are looking, talking to me about. And clearly that's my old seat. I represented that district for 12 years, six on the board and six in the legislature. And it's definitely on my radar. But I have to tell you something, Cameron. The last two months of my life have been nothing more than trying to protect my character against a character assassination by the DA. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, I was walked out of the office on August 27th. And in September 7th, L.A. Times, Susan Schroeder said, we don't have to give a reason. He's an at-will employee. employee. We don't even have to justify. We can just terminate him with or without cause. And so yet this week... The DA's office spent three hours explaining to the media about 10 basic areas, reasons why they got rid of me. That was all political. That was all political because what, you know, this week, 
I had a huge victory this week because what I proved this week is that it was not about the public guardian's office at all. Because Rakakis came up with 10 other reasons, right, that I rebutted in every way I, I could. And I completely discredited every one of his allegations. They were trying to come up with any reason. And Susan Schroeder, who's a horrible trial lawyer, and that's why they don't let her try cases in the district attorney's office, she um, tried to do something that people who are not very good lawyers try to do, which is when you don't have an argument, you just throw everything up and hope something will stick in the jury's eyes. And that's what they did today. They just threw a lot of mud up hoping something would stick on the wall. Nothing stuck on the wall this week. Well, and, you know, let's talk about some of the corruption stuff that you've seen there. I've got, I've got a few examples here that I'd like to bring up to you. But before I get to that, though, again, if, you know, well, if there are things that are occurring in the office that when we go through this list you disagree with and you think that they are issues that are corruption-related – why weren't you talking about it when you were there? Maybe maybe I was. Let's go through them because I, right, I was very outspoken while I was let, in the let, office. Let's talk, first of all, about the crime lab. This is a complete – the DNA uh, database is a complete waste of taxpayer dollars. And, and it's basically it's spit and a quit. You go in, you pay your $75, you spit in the cup, they take your DNA, and it's only for low-level offenders to create this DNA database that I have – God when you say knows. low level, though, it's it's all misdemeanors except DUIs and domestic violence. So it's 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 all misdemeanors except those very limited well, subject it, it's areas. It's low level stuff, and and even furthermore, though, let's take it one step more. It's a conflict of interest. You cannot have the prosecuting agency maintaining a DNA base that they're going to use at their behest, uh, or that they could manipulate when they've clearly manipulated evidence in the past. Uh, and have them be entrusted with that kind of information. That's a third-party issue. I understand, and that's why on Wednesday I had James Ochoa, who had to leave California and went to Texas. Right, but what is your thought on the DNA database, though? The district attorney is not an investigatory uh, agency like a, 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 like a police department or a sheriff's department. It is, it is an agency that is supposed to review the conduct and investigations of other agencies and determine whether or not there's enough evidence to bring somebody forth on criminal charges after Ochoa and Camille Hill one of the DNA deputy DA's went in and I've read the deposition in this case when Ochoa uh, sued the city of Buena Park Ochoa over the was, false a, arrest. Was, a, was arrested and later found that he did not do the crime and it was based on the fact that the DA had manipulated evidence is that correct well what happened is Ochoa was forced with either two years by the judge or life after if he was convicted there was id against him id witnesses against him and bloodhound evidence against him but what was exculpatory was the fact the crime lab found that all the dna on the steering wheel the gun and the baseball cap exp actually excluded him as a suspect not inconclusive excluded him the D camille hill and the other prosecutors went in and met with the crime lab and asked them to instead of finding it conclusively excluded Ochoa, they wanted the report to say it was inconclusive. In other words, right. wiping out Ochoa's best defense. Right. And so now you have on the record, and Buena Park paid tens of $500,000 to Ochoa. You already have Dwayne McKinney, who Rakakis prosecuted as a young prosecutor, who went to prison for 20 years, and we paid a million dollars on that. And now you have him wanting to control the DNA analysis when he has already proven he can't be trusted with DNA. Right. So that, so there you go. I mean, that's my point right there. Prosecutors should not be in the business of 
analyzing or controlling the analysis of DNA. All right. Now, what about this strike team that we've got going on now at the DA's office? Apparently, uh, there is a DA that's assigned per courtroom to basically move cases along and get rid of cases. They're pleading them to nothing, and basically they're doing this on everything but serious or, fi- or, or violent felonies. Do you know that this is going on? Uh, I remember, I was the assistant head of court at Harbor, right. and I was talked to because I was so upset with the fact that the strike team was giving away cases. What the public doesn't know is Tony Rakakis is getting rid of serious felonies for very little time. He's dismissing misdemeanors. He is completely jeopardizing public safety. And he was the biggest proponent of the early release of prisoners out of our county jails uh, in the last year. So, I mean, it's amazing to me that crime has not shot up, especially in this economy. But I will tell you, at some point, we're going to feel the reverberations of terrible, terrible decisions of Tony Rakakis trying to reduce caseloads by giving away cases. What about the budget matters? I've been told that there are, what, like five to ten employees who just do press releases for the department. Why are we spending money on this kind of thing? You know how upsetting it is as a prosecutor? I took a 5% pay cut. We gave a furlough day to prosecutors. We made all the staff take a furlough. We fired investigators to force a furlough and then hired them back. They wanted to take their guns away. And I said no. And I was the one that said, you cannot, even if you're going to put an investigator on furlough, you can't take their gun away. Luckily, I prevailed on that. They didn't didn't bring that up this week. Um, But these are the kinds of situations that the public needs to focus on. Okay, and then last but not least here, what about this no-bid contract that uh, in the Toyota case? uh, Toyota, uh, we're, we're suing Toyota no, or, he is suing Toyota. He is suing Toyota, but he gave a no-bid contract to Mark Robinson. That's right. And and basically, this private attorney is going to get a huge sum of money. We don't know that. Been. Actually, we don't know that. We don't know anything. That's what's so frustrating. Tony Rakakis gave his one of his largest campaign contributors, and Mark is a mover and shaker. He's an excellent lawyer, so it has nothing to do with it. But Tony, Mark Robinson is one of Tony's biggest contributors. Mark Robinson's daughter is a prosecutor. She got a job. She's a prosecutor in the district attorney's office. Remember I told you about Nassar's right. daughter gets a job? Right. Mark Robinson's daughter gets a job? Tony hands out jobs and titles and like they're candy and an ATM machine. The thing I want to talk about, it's really important. When Tom Harmon was running for attorney general in the primary with Eastman against Cooley, the Schroeders were supporting Tom Harmon, senator from here in Orange County. I served with him in the legislature. Harmon had no law enforcement or prosecutorial experience. Two weeks before the filing period closed. And this, was done, this, this is right now online on the Voice of OC. Yeah, right, be, right? It, right. and yeah, I'm quoted in that story. Keep so I, I get called up to, I'm up on the 10th floor of my office, and I, there, there's, Tony's swearing Tom Harmon in as, a, as a, what we call a TAP attorney. It's our volunteer uh, attorney program for people in civil practice to get trial experience. Tom Harmon's getting sworn in two weeks before the filing period, and then lo and behold, he becomes a prosecutor. And what does he put on as his ballot designation? Prosecutor. Steve Cooley had to sue in Sacramento Superior Court to knock that ballot designation of Harmon off, saying this guy's not a prosecutor. The Sacramento Bee said in an editorial that it was what an insult to prosecutors in this state that the Orange County DA would name Tom Harmon a prosecutor when he has no prosecutorial experience. But this is what Rakakis does. He hires the children of donors, people like the Nassar, the guy who gave out the badges. 
he, he gives titles to people who have no business having those titles, who have no experience. And I, so everybody's saying, well, what did you do about it, Todd? Yeah, that's my, that was my follow-up yeah. question all this. We well, got all these things yeah, here. What, no, what did you do about I it? I was exp- – okay, he has senior assistants, Marianne McCauley, Joe D'Agostino. I was livid. And er, that's why – I mean, this is what this is all about. That's why I was walked out of the office. Not because I called the public guardian, but because when he sued Toyota, you know what I did? I bought a Toyota. When he swore, to, swore in Tom Harmon, I objected and said it was outrageous and unconscionable to abuse the power of a prosecutor like that. All right? And when he was, you know, and I obviously I was very critical of the spit and acquit, but you have to understand something, Cameron. Here I am in the office, and internally, this is my belief, internally you can have dissension and you should be able to fight and put your views forward. But once the boss, the elected DA, makes the decision, as long as it's not illegal and unethical, then, you know, you're... You basically, you've got to live with the decision. You cannot say, and no one can say in this county, even the Schroeders can't say, that they can point to any example where I leaked something to the press, did a press conference, was quoted in a newspaper article, anything critical of the DA. That's what's so offensive. It's that I voiced my objections while I was in the office to these policies, and when I didn't win... Okay, I, I, he's the boss. His name's on the door, not mine. Someday my name will be on that door, but it's not on the door now. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Todd Spitzer. Recently, uh, he was recently terminated from the DA's office. There's been a huge controversy uh, surrounding this, and uh, we're talking about it, obviously, today. Um, this is the OC Show right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am, of course, your faithful host, Cameron Jackson. Todd, you know, um, kind of... Going to the press conference that happened yesterday, I have, uh, I, you know, I, I spoke to my colleagues in, in the media, and, you know, at one point in the, and it was actually reported in the voice of OC, at one point in the, in the, in the, when, during your conference, you went after the media, you went after Scott Moxley. And you, you accused the media of being lazy, you, you, you accused them of, of pandering to the Schroeders, taking, uh, you know, holding their water, uh, smoking cigars and, and drinking fine wine with them. And, you know, a lot of it seemed to be directed at Moxley. And, and it's and it, what I kind of wonder is why go after the media and why talk about that when it comes to Moxley when he's the one who's been breaking all the stories totally about agree. corruption. Totally agree. I mean, and, look. And, and not only that, but, but then it kind of like pandering to Micadite. No, I, I understand. You must have talked to Scott. Let me just say this, and I'll say it on the air. I've said it to Scott subsequently. Look, I was in front of those folks for two hours answering their questions. I, unlike Tony, who had an invite only, you had to be invited to his press conference, and they didn't let per- certain people in the door. They wouldn't let TV cameras TV, uh, film his uh, press conference. They wouldn't let any recording devices go into his. Mine was a free-for-all. So I stood there for two hours and answered questions. At the end of the two hours... I did express my frustration. Look, Cameron, I'm, gonna be, I'm very clear about this. I don't think the media has done as, uh, and, uh, as good a job as it needs to do to put a microscope on the district attorney's office and the corruption that's going on in this county. Once the micro... I mean, look, Scott Moxley, I, I think he's one of the best investigative reporters. And I, I did go off on Scott. And it was completely inappropriate on my part. And I've apologized to him. And I'll apologize publicly for that. And it... Uh, my point being here is that there is so much that still needs to be talked about. And what the Schroeders and Rakakis tried to do on Wednesday was 
put, this is Susan Schroeder's favorite line, shiny object, shiny object. In other words, she says, feed the beast or it'll feed you. She wants to always, that's why she has four people doing press all the time. Because she doesn't want people to look at the DA's office. She wants them to take the press release and just basically rubber stamp it. Then she'll say, if we don't have shiny object over here, then maybe the press will get distracted. My point with the press is, hey, ladies and gentlemen, you are now starting to uncover the corruption in the district attorney's office. Don't stop. You waited way too long before you exposed the corruption in the sheriff's department, and then it became uh, cataclysmic. Do it now while we know all the issues. Why is Peggy Buff, the fiancé of her caucus, the assistant public guardian, she has no education, no experience, and she has no business in that position? How did she get that position? Why is John Williams giving a sole source contract to an auction house to sell land where Tom Fuentes, the former chairman of the Orange County Republican party is a senior vice president of that company they both sit on the south orange county community college trustees together they vote together why isn't that being talked about or explored it was great that norberto santana on the voice of oc put the whole thing about Harmon, but it was the primary we're talking about something that happened in in may for goodness sakes and we're only talking about it now in when the sacramento Bee wrote about it and opined about it so these issues are around and all i was trying to say and i did it inappropriately uh and i I obviously didn't make my point very well but my point is is that if people like you and i appreciate being here and exposing all this but if other members of the media are not going to do this we will never be successful in wiping out the corruption and what has happened in the da's office rokakis has been around so long and he's been reelected without opposition for so long. He's become so entrenched in power that these people think they can get away with putting people in prison who are innocent without any consequences. Because you know the biggest problem, Cameron? What happens when the DA puts uh, a, a James Ochoa in prison unlawfully or, or Dwayne McKinney in prison unlawfully? Who pays that tab? Does Tony Rakakis lose his house? Does he lose his pension? Do the Schroeders lose their house? Do they lose any money? No. The taxpayers always pay for their mistakes. So there are great costs, not only financially, but there's great costs when you have immoral people running one of the most powerful agencies, a law enforcement agency. You and I have both in law, came from law enforcement. We know the power of law enforcement. And when the wrong people have the, the ability to do search warrants, arrest, prosecute, uh, recommend sentences, and ultimately can send people to prison for long periods of time, we're all in trouble if we don't do something. So my point with Moxley is, hey, you can do it. You're, you're the smartest journal, one of the smartest journalists in Orange County, and you've done such great work. But you got to do more. You got to do more because there's so much there. Okay, so do you think then uh, that there's? Uh, my theory has always been on this that you were uh, cut off at the knees so that Rakakis can elevate Susan Schroeder to the second in command there, and then eventually drop out of this and and appoint her as the interim DA, and then. Uh, give her the the leeway then to be able to move in as the incumbent and get elected into that office. Because do you think that that is one of the reasons? Oh, I mean, look, March 12th was the cutoff period to run against Rokakis for 2010 election cycle, which has already passed. On March 13th, I became the ugly, redheaded stepchild of the district attorney's office. I mean, I was asked to go on special cases. I was the assistant head of court. But right after that, right, as soon as no, I couldn't run against him if they upset me. 
He elevated Susan Schroeder to chief of staff two weeks later on April 2nd. How, how does he justify, if this isn't political, if he's not trying to elevate Susan to be the district attorney, why would she become chief of staff two weeks after the close of filing period? And Scott Moxie actually wrote a story about the fact that the rumor was going through the courthouse that Susan wanted to be DA. Susan, I, I want to close, close to the end of the show with this. Susan sat me down in a one-on-one like this, and she said, I need two promises from you. I need to know, one, Todd, that you're going to keep me as your chief of staff when you become district attorney. That was her first exaction. The second one was, when you retire or whatever, move on in your life at whatever you want, you know, because I'll be 50, you know, I'm 50, almost 50 now. She wanted me to promise her that I was going to support her be the next district attorney. Now, I have to interject on that one, and I have to say, I, I don't know Susan Schroeder personally. I've, I've, I've had her on the show here. I've studied her and her husband for years now. I've watched everything that they do in public, uh, and I have talked to her briefly at holiday parties. Of everything that I know about Susan Schroeder, I find it absolutely impossible that she would have ever said something like that to you. I, I, I mean, I'm not calling you a liar. I don't want to call you a liar. But I find it, um, I mean, I just cannot, she is the most mean, ruthless, Machiavellian, angry uh, person in Orange County politics right now, and I can't imagine she would say something like that to you, knowing full well just, that they were going to cut you off at the knees. I just can't imagine that, unless she's just trying to suck you in. I am telling you that unequivocally, and I've even put on the record, I will take a polygraph test on that issue alone, okay? That conversation absolutely happened, and she tried to exact those conditions from me, and I would not make that deal at all, because she has no business in the DA's office today, and she clearly doesn't have any business being the district attorney. If you had to become district attorney, would you have fired her? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I don't think it would have come down to firing. I think it would have been done, hey, Susan... It's time to transition out. It would have been am- as amicable as it could be under the circumstances. I would have, I would never treat anybody, even the Schroders. I mean, now, as badly as they've treated me, I might have a different opinion. But I'm just saying, in the world of politics, you try to figure out how to let people land softly and save face. You don't do what they did to me any way whatsoever, especially when in 2005, Rakakis promised me that if I didn't run against him, he would be, support me to be a successor. And I, I kept my word, Cameron, on every single deal point. I didn't run against him. I had a million dollars in the bank, and I did not run against him. And he broke his word. He's broken his word that he said he'd, he'd retire in 10. Now he's, gonna, he's running again. And he says he's going to run again in 14 again. The man, the man hasn't kept his uh, word to any of his ex-wives. He hasn't kept his word to the public. He hasn't kept his word to me. He's... You can't take anything these people say at face value. What is it like, and we, we only have a couple minutes left, but let's get these two questions. What is it like to be at, in a position of power like you've been for so many years and to lose that position of power? And, 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 and especially at the hands of the people that did it to you. Look, I, I'm not, I have to tell you, I'm hurt most, not by quote unquote losing a position of power. I'm upset most is that I'm not doing the work I love to do, that I'm passionate about. That I mean, I uh, I think even Moxie reported this as well. 
that I said at the press conference. The last two years of my life, before the filing period closed and Susan Schroeder became chief of staff, my that was a year and a half, were, were some, a year and a half the best years of my life. Now, I had been diagnosed with cancer during that period of time. I had throat cancer. I had a tumor on my vocal cord. I went through radiation every day for seven weeks. I went to work. I never missed a day of work because I was that committed. And, uh, yeah, so I got cancer. But the fact is I beat cancer the same way I'm going to beat Rakakis and Schroeder. And um, I love what I was doing. I miss the work. I don't miss being in a particular position. I mean, that, that does, that's not why I'm in the business of public policy. I have a master's degree from Berkeley in public policy. I have my law degree. I'm a wonk in some ways, and I love the whole business of public policy. But as you know from my background, I'm a doer too. I've been a street cop working patrol for 10 years. Um, I was a high school English teacher before I became a lawyer. I'm a, I, I was a dishwasher. I mean, I like to get my hands dirty as well. So I miss the work, and what they did was they deprived me of kind of like the true love of what I do, which is my passion of my work. And they, that's why I'm so upset about this, because they deprived me and stripped me of what I get up every day and say, okay, I'm going to go out and make a difference. And that's why when Teddy Alves called me on the phone and said, my friend Ruth Holrichter, who's abused by her husband, um, is now being abused by the DA's office on this bad check. And that's why I call the public guardian, because all I care about is making sure that the system works. And most of the time, as you know, if any, a lot of other people got that phone call, that would have been blown off. Okay, but I made a phone call and all I did was ask if they had an investigation. And once they confirmed that um, it was it was done. So, yeah, they they took me. Look, you know, they they tried to make this allegation that I was stressed Got about 30 seconds that I was stressed. I'll tell you, I'm not stressed. I'm blessed. I beat cancer. I've got a great family. I I think I I live in one of the greatest counties in, in America. And I'm just I'm just, you know, happy. Um, that I, I, you know, things are going so well. It's been a rough week. I won't tell you it hasn't been a rough week. But I have to tell you, Cameron, in closing, I am so looking forward to this fight because if I don't do it, no one else will. And the Schroeders and Rakakis will continue to reign in this county, and we cannot allow them to do that anymore. All right. Well, I'll say bravo to that. I can't, I can't disagree with you on that one, Todd. <laughs> Well, this has uh, been a great show, Todd. I, I really appreciate you coming in here and talking to me. I hope you'll come back and talk to me again. Um, I, I, I mean, I hope you do. If you don't, no worries. No, I'd be, love to come back. And, um, you know, best of luck to you and your family. Uh, and well, you know, let's talk again, all right? All right. Thank all right. you very much. Excellent. You've been listening to the OC Show right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am Cameron Jackson, your faithful host, and I will be back every Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. More on KUCI coming up next. I'll see you all next week. Bye-bye.